Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today we are joined by Sandy Young, the Managing Director of Ripple. Ripple provides one frictionless experience to send money globally using the power of blockchain technology. By joining Ripple's growing global network, financial institutions can process their customers' payments anywhere in the world instantly, reliably and cost-effectively. Sandy leads Ripple's European business and she's here today to share her story and the learns along the way. So Sandy, welcome. It is brilliant to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Ripple and what it entails? Great. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's great to be here. Yes, I, so I am the managing director of Europe um, based out of our London office. Generally, uh, what, what that means is I have overall uh, oversight of Ripple's strategy, operations, business growth across Europe. Uh, we have a team of about 50 people in London and a smaller office of engineers in our Reykjavik Iceland office. Europe and, and, and UK, it's an important region for Ripple, really. Um, we have you know, a quarter of our customers, some of our early users of our signature product on demand liquidity are here, like Asimo. And UK and Europe, obviously, are important. There are uh, some of the more progressive you know, regulations around fintech, innovation, um, crypto, the Califer Review in the UK, and, and some of the other things obviously going on with open banking and PSD too. So it's really um, an exciting and, and, and fantastic region to be in, in the space. Yeah, and my role is it's a general management role. It entails anything from you know, strategy, managing the team, growing our customer base, partners, relationships with central banks, regulators, speaking at industry events, et cetera, and, and you know, sharing our capabilities and the value we bring for the rest of the industry. That sounds so, so amazing. It'd be brilliant just to hear a bit more on what Ripple does that's so unique in the industry, but also what drew you to the Ripple? Yeah, so let me start with the first part of your question. Uh, what, what Ripple does uniquely is essentially um, Ripple solves key pain points in the cross-border payments market, which is a 130 trillion uh, market today. And the pain points are really around cost, speed, and transparency. And we do this by using the crypto and blockchain technologies. Um, essentially, we're an enterprise software company that we use crypto and blockchain to solve you know, initially this cross-border payments problem. 
I mean, it's actually, if you think about it, right, today we can stream video from a space station, but we can't release our money uh, in real time globally. And that's what we really want to change. We want money and, and anything of value really to move as seamlessly around the world as information moves today, which has happened, you know, thanks to internet over the last decade or so. Uh, and that's what we want to do. We want to do the same thing that internet has done for information. We want to do that for value. And yeah, we've focused on the uh, cross-border payments uh, market, as I said. It's the, the legacy infrastructure, the legacy way of sending money across the world today using correspondent banking, using swift messaging system. It is quite anti antiquated and inefficient. It was built before internet really, and hasn't really been you know, majorly upgraded, updated. Uh, and it's not really fit for purpose for the way we live our lives today, which obviously is a lot more digital, a lot more global, a lot more connected, a lot more on demand. And essentially what Ripple is doing uniquely is, is offering a fresh alternative. What drew me to Ripple, I think was the second part of the question, Really three things, right? One is, is, is the space, the, the crypto blockchain space and you know, the potential it brings than people and the, and, and the vision of the company. You know, reference a little bit, you know, why I guess the current system is antiquated and, and haven't been updated and it's really not, you know, it, it's still full of a lot of inefficiencies and challenges. And this very system is also has left about you know, 2 billion people out of the financial system. and even though there's some improvements, it has, it's still a massive problem. And I really believe blockchain and crypto are the kind of future and they have a really um, great potential to lead to, to like 10x improvement, not just marginal improvements. Maybe some of the other innovations that have, have, have done have helped over the years. And essentially this is what excites me, the, the significant change. And I, when I looked at Ripple, I saw we see that, you know, there industry leaders in the blockchains or enterprise space. And I wanted to be in the driving seat as all of these changes are happening along with many, many you know, amazing people in the company and in the industry really to really you know, help drive this change and, and make that happen as opposed to you know, watching from sidelines. And beyond that, you know, as I mentioned, the caliber of the team, you know, everybody I've spoken to since the first sort of interview up to you know, today, I'm you know, two months in, really fantastic backgrounds of you know people from traditional banks you know goldman jp morgans to tech amazon google facebook uber to more fintech backgrounds there's such a great diversity of of uh, backgrounds that i really enjoy the environments and the vision right as, as kind of i alluded to earlier which is enabling value to move as seamlessly as information does um, today i think that's really inspiring and exciting and i'm uh, really excited to be you know, part of this great team to uh, drive that forward it certainly sounds really exciting and what a wonderful range of skill sets and different backgrounds and people i can imagine the diversity of opinion in the room is is so high which is wonderful to hear and i think what i really like to hear about is sort of how you got to being managing director of this wonderful business you know let's have a look at your career path your journey and of course one of my favorite questions lessons along the way <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i mean which one there's so many lessons right but i will pick the top ones for you 
Yeah, so very briefly, I, I, I grew up in Istanbul, Turkey. I have been very, very fortunate in that I, I had a very strong education you know, from early years, a very happy childhood. And I think those are really important to you know, set me up for success. I think sometimes they're sort of un, un, under, uh, underestimated. Of course, I have worked always you know, very hard and intelligently along the way, but foundations, I think, really do go, go a long way. And I'm very lucky uh, to have had these opportunities. I left just after I left Turkey, just after high school, uh, went to the U.S. to get my university degree, spent uh, four amazing years at Rye University in, in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, got my economics degree and, and started my early career in economic consulting for a couple of years. Sort of I, I started up at, at uh, Nira Economic Consulting, uh, which is one of the sort of two largest companies in that firm. And after a little while, moved to a smaller boutique one. And there, actually, I learned one of my important lessons, to be honest, is the importance of building relationships, because, again, the, you know, the people that I worked in that company kind of to help open that next opportunity for me. And the next opportunity was fantastic because it was a much smaller company where I got the chance to get really involved in building the firm up, really getting involved in everything beyond my sort of just day-to-day job, which was a fantastic learning opportunity. That led me to thinking, you know, I, I do want to run a business one day. So went to get my MBA, uh, went to uh, Boston, Harvard Business School, really enjoyed and coming out of that again to kind of to pursue that more general management path. I joined HSBC's International Management Program. So that's a rotational program, you know, throughout your career. And they have sent me, they have actually posted me to London which was the first time I really given me the opportunity to t- tip my toes in payments and cash management world. Then um, following that, I spent a couple of years with a management consultancy, Alex Partners. Again, really wanted to that, you know, have diversity of experiences, worked across different industries, primarily around delivering operational transformation and efficiencies uh, for large corporates. I've spent you know, a lot of time also uh, involved in business development there, which led me to MasterCard, which is where I've spent the last five years just before joining Ripple. I've spent all five years in the data and services business, particularly um, driving basically letters, particularly helping banks adopt newer sort of technologies, real-time payments, open banking, artificial intelligence, um, all to advance some of their payments businesses. Uh, I worked very closely with fintechs as well, and kind of it was a very interesting role, almost like sitting between the banks and, 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 and fintechs and really seeing um, opportunities and challenges on, on, on both ends. Yeah, I had a number of roles around like strategy, business development, commercialization of products, banking and fintech partnerships. And then just before I left, um, I was leading the fintech and digital segment in that services business. I mean, coming to some of the lessons I guess I have learned is, again, I think there's so many, but maybe I'll, I'll highlight kind of the three top ones that have probably in one way or another sort of relevant across my career. I think number one is perseverance and never taking no for an answer. Actually, like I've, I, I've come to kind of learn that the more people say no, the more, you know, the better reason that one should go for it. And it's not easy as always, right? Because that requires a certain level of, you know, confidence and just kind of really emotional strength even uh, to, to kind of keep going and try new ways in different ways. But that has been you know, the, the, the biggest lesson in my life. 
Secondly, I would say prioritize and sort of put, put first things first. So I'm a really, um, I really like Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which obviously is a, is a kind of bestseller for, for many, many, many years now. I, I, and this is one of the sort of seven principles and it really resonates with me because especially in our sort of very digital lives today, right? We are so busy. There's constant things going on. I mean, you can just sit and spend the whole work day just answering emails. And you know, if somebody asks, you will say, yes, I'm very busy, but like, what did you do? What did you get done? What did you contribute to the world, to the company, to your life? Like that I think is very easy to, to get lost. And I'm really passionate about sort of every day, every week, every month, sort of thinking about, you know, what do I want to get out of something? What is most important for various reasons and really focusing time and attention and kind of taking control to, to focus on what you want to achieve. And then thirdly, a quote actually that has really inspired me that again, I felt it really resonates with me is, is from Mandela. It says, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. So, you know, essentially it's, you know, the brave man is not the one who, who doesn't feel afraid, but really just does things regardless, even though they're feeling afraid. And that, that really resonates with me so many times. The most rewarding things I've done in my life, I've been really scared, you know, because they were stretching me, they were new, and I had to kind of almost take a leap of faith sometimes um, that I could do a great job in whatever I was taking. And I've seen a lot of people around me not take that leap and kind of just, you know, sit with the status quo. And I think that's sometimes where, where, where people kind of don't, you know, always you know, advance or get to where they want to get to. I think your lessons are just so, um, so important for us all to take into our day-to-day -day lives. Like if we think about that, that courage, you're absolutely right. And I often talk about what's needed in fintech, and I call it the fintech mindset of resilience, of, of facing your fears, of, of having that diversity of thoughts. And, and you know what, disagreeing with somebody, but positively disagreeing with them. And I think it's so important to hear what you're saying about persistence and courage and prioritization. Um, that's really helpful for us all to hear. Now, tell us a bit more about your thoughts on financial inclusion and what's been happening within the industry on that. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, the traditional system, right, traditional financial system has left 2 billion people out of the system, essentially, right? And, and you know, if you think about why, why is that, um, again, I mentioned it was created you know, before the internet. It was designed by and for the largest banks and the largest corporates, and they don't particularly serve well the way, you know, we operate today. And I think there are two, I mean, maybe uh, fundamental challenges. One is with this traditional system, right? The cost of service too high, right? So if you think about a, if you need to set up a full bank branch in a remote location to service a handful of customers, right? In a village or something, that's just way too high investment and, and operational cost to sustain. And obviously, you know, over time it has come down significantly. Or, you know, similarly, the cost to send money abroad, right? Like even today, despite all of the digitalization and everything that's been going on, it's, it's, it costs about $7 to send $100 across borders. 6% of all payments get stuck and you know, nobody knows where, where they are and, and when the other person on the other end will receive it. 
and it's it's yeah it's really shocking that you know we can just send an email look something happens you know across the other side of the world you get the information instantly on your mobile device but you can't just send money it takes about three to five days to send money across borders in you know in the in this context if we think about you know the receiver who's waiting for that money right who's going to pay for their kids school for i don't know the weekly um food shopping for um their house like that every second counts right even more than 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 you know any other situation and then i think the second reason why i think the current financial system has left a lot of people behind is for those people who obviously like that there's not enough information in the system which means it's a, it prevents access to uh, credit so in case of like, for example, refugees fleeing their country or migrants in a new country, I mean, I, I personally myself, you know, after 10 years in the US, when I moved to London, I had a pretty good, you know, credit history that I had developed in the US, but came to London, I couldn't get a credit card. Like I, I had a, eventually when I did, I had a tiny, tiny amount of, you know, credit on it just because my history wasn't here. Right. And, you know, and I am, you know, again, I have a, you know, pretty decent background, I have almost, you know, really good education, I have had jobs in very reputable companies, like if I can get a, a, a you know, credit history, um, I cannot even imagine what it must be, you know, for, um, for, for many other people who are uh, outside the system. And things have improved, right, over time, so there's been always a huge payments digitization, um, it's been mainly enabled by cloud computing and as you know mobile phones proliferated and got more and more prevalent then we had you know a lot more sophisticated use of big data and machine learning which essentially allowed finding basically different sources of data than just typical credit bureau data to for example create uh, landing opportunities for for people who are outside the system and even regulations like open banking psc2 i think kind of started to help open up opportunities and we have seen, you know, again, I think the digitization has lowered the cost to serve. You can reach people, you know, with mobile phones, smartphones, or even feature phones. Then setting up a branch that makes the biggest, massive difference in, you know, who you can reach and how many people you can reach and what part of the world you can reach as well. Yeah, I mean, and then like in, in, when we think of remittances and cross-border payments, there's been a bigger innovation in the consumer experience. Again, you can now, you know, send in, in many places, you can send money easily from your phone than having to walk into a you know, specific, you know, Western Union or MoneyGram branch or something like that. So there's been a lot of improvements. I mean, I know in, for example, in, in especially in countries like Japan, Singapore, UAE, there's been a new sort of blockchain-based remittance solutions, which are really helping on the financial inclusion front. But I think despite all of these kind of improvements, we still have, as I mentioned, like a lot of issues in, in, in our ability to send money across borders. And I think digital assets and blockchain can be a really game changer RippleNet, for example, which, which is our you know, payments network leveraging blockchain and crypto technologies to send money across borders in an efficient way. It allows you know, sending money across borders within three seconds compared to that you know, three to five day period or at a cost that is, you know, one percent close to the center, uh, for example, rather than seven percent. And, and essentially it's bringing more and more people, giving more and more people access uh, to money around the world. Yeah, I mean, I think the vision, I think the, for me, what's really exciting is if we can democratize the financial system the same way 
internet has helped democratize information. I think we can bring billions of people into the global financial system. And I think the digital wallets um, are really key, accessibility to digital wallets. Again, you know, being able to access money value without necessarily having to have a bank account because you know, more and more the phones are a lot more prevalent, right? And in the UK, I think it's like 90% plus uh, people have smartphones. Europe, it's about, you know, just about um, like 80 to 6% or so. Uh, and if, if you look at places like, you know, like Sub-Saharan Africa, 75% um, of people have um, fe you know, at least feature phones. And in some parts, it's easier to access actually uh, phones than uh, electricity. So yeah, I mean, if we look at with Ripple in our network, we have you know started out with banks, we have continued relationships. Today, a lot of our customers are payment service providers and digital wallets who are really benefiting from this kind of technology, blockchain, and, and digital assets to enable basically people migrants sending money across borders at a fraction of the cost much quickly. Yeah, we have. I mean, I think Bcash is maybe a good example one of the largest mobile wallet players in Bangladesh. Um, they have about like 36 million consumers uh, using their app and 90% of their base is, is newly banked, which is massive, obviously. So yeah, I mean, I think in a nutshell, like I, I, when I think about it, our current financial infrastructure is really built to buy and for the largest banks and, and corporates. I think it's time you know, we update those to really reflect what the world looks like today. Absolutely. And it's all, it's all coming together, you know, looking at your career journey, your career trajectory, the way that Ripple has been, has been built, the way it's growing, Ripple Net, you know, all these are wonderful missions and purposes that you're bringing together to improve things and improve what we're trying to do in the world. And I think also everything that you've spoken about with regards to making things seamless and cost effective and reliable, that's really, really helpful to hear. Now, I know a lot of this is really important to you with regards to inclusion within businesses and within the workplace. What would you say is your call to action in terms of what we should all be doing for more workplace inclusion? I think absolutely. I mean, this is, this is I think, a, a, a constant battle and, and fintech spaces, you know, it's, it's particularly challenging, right? Because it's, you know, the, the combination of almost like two, two industries, financial services, technology, where we've particularly struggled with diversity and, and inclusion. And I think there's been, you know, a lot of improvements uh, have been made, but a lot of, you know, room to grow, really. I think, I mean, to promote a culture of diversity of inclusion, I think probably like a couple of things that, that are important to do. I think it's first and foremost starts with thoughtful and in, intentional policies, because that really sets the expectations, the ground rules essentially of the, the company. Then setting measurable objectives and continuously kind of re reviewing performance against those and, and adapting. I mean, just like you would do for any business goal, really. And benchmarking, thirdly, benchmarking against the industry to always, you know, make sure that you are adopting the best practices and, and, and also driving the industry forward. At Ripple, we're very, very conscious of this. Um, obviously, it's also very linked to, you know, our, our business integrated in everything we do, obviously, but, you know, beyond that, we do have also, you know, very dedicated um, diversity inclusion lead to ensure that, you know, across the company, across our 
practices anywhere from you know recruiting to the existing employees the way we go to answer that everything that we are executing against our diversity and inclusion objectives um, maybe to just you know give give an example is we have a set of policies for example around uh, parents and caregivers to ensure that they have the support needed to feel supported and and come to work and, and be in a place where they can you know, give you know, provide their best work uh, for example we've introduced equal parental leave uh, for all parents uh, globally uh, which I think is huge because I think that's um, really fundamental to to help address you know if you cannot you know address parents you know share responsibility for care I think it's hard to improve you know a lot of other things. Then we have you know quarterly stipends to cover cost of childcare and, and home education. Uh, we have portable remote work options to give the the employees opportunity to basically you know figure out where's best best fits for their work. Uh, we have a number of um, circles and partnership internally around um, promoting mental health. And to promote inclusive hiring as well, we adopted, for example, policies like requiring a diverse slate, at least two diverse candidates for all of the leadership roles, trainings in place to make sure that you know, we are aware of our unconscious biases and, and that we have a you know, diverse set of people doing interviews, et cetera. We have in place a number of um, employee resource groups, seven uh, probably, promote the interest of, of a range of um, diverse, diverse groups. So um, yeah, there's quite a lot we're doing on that front. And I think it is extremely important that we continue to do so, but not just we, um, hopefully we're driving the industry as well to, to continue looking at this in a very intentional way. And that is so wonderful to hear you reel off all of those actionable changes that you've implemented within the business because it means that people listening to this they can pick just even if they picked a few of these that you're implementing already and started implementing into their own businesses or teams we're starting to make this difference and whenever i introduce these podcasts i always say we're here today to walk the talk and you are certainly doing that and it all makes sense from from your background, where, where you came from, what you've become, what you do day in, day out, what your business does, the types of people that are within your business, that diversity of thought, plus, plus the safety measures to ensure that everyone is, is made to feel safe within that business, which is wonderful to hear. So it's been an absolute pleasure today learning all about you and about Ripple. And thank you for joining us on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Thank you very much, Nadia. Appreciate it. <laughs>